You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. Last week's market action felt like a tectonic shift. There was a general Omicron-related volatility, up one day, down the next, but also more specific bloodlettings, like the small cap universe or the SaaS sector. DocuSign's disappointing earnings report, including its billings missed, seemed to be the proximate cause for Friday's SaaS sector sell-off, though maybe it was just another reminder of the uncertainty that faces investors in this market, a common theme on the razor's edge. Monday's rebound, as I record this intro, further clouds the outlook. So, on Sunday, Akram and I talked DocuSign, Steve Jobs, buy and hold, never sell, and the current market environment. This ends up unspooling into a two-part episode, as we saved our Twitter discussion involving the Jack Dorsey news for the back half of the episode, so we'll share that next week. I think there's plenty to chew on in today's episode in the meantime. For disclosures, Akram is long booking Twitter, Zoom, and short Twilio. I am long Apple, PagerDuty, Twitter, Stitch Fix, Dropbox, and booking. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as advice. One other note. I did a bad job recording my sound this time, so I don't sound great. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. The one saving grace is that I don't do much of the talking on today's episode, and Akram's sound is fine. Okay, here we go. Akram, it's uh, Sunday, December 5th, I think it is, just after a pretty interesting weekend month, really, in the markets from an early November peak to we had Omicron emerge over Thanksgiving weekend. And then last week, it still looks like we're on track for tapering and maybe even uh, sped up tapering. Jerome Powell retired the word transitory. And Friday was just sort of a... That was, that was nice of him. It was, it was, he really, I think he's had a sense of the moment, right? He really understood yeah. the power. <laughs> One week after like a mini deflationary freakout. Also, right, as many have pointed out, right after he got his job back, he decided to pull that. But um he's a carbon-based life form. Always looking out for himself. The then last Friday really the was the DocuSign pinprick and the bubble, if you want to call it that, or just the market seemed to sell off. The market sold off a lot. The Nasdaq ended up the week down about two and two point three percent, I think. 
The Russell is down almost 4%, S&P down a little over a percent for the week. And DocuSign down 42% on Friday. And that sort of risk off and maybe this pandemic environment isn't going to last forever translated to other behavior over the weekend. We had a flash crash in Bitcoin and a lot of crypto stuff. What do you, where are you sitting now? What, what's your, what's your initial read on what's going on? I mean, what's your take? <laughs> I, so here's the thing that I wanted to, we were chatting about this a little bit before. I, I want to be careful about, we've said that the bell has rung several times. And then it's like Rocky Balboa, the bull market just keeps getting up and keeps going forward and nothing can knock them out. And so I, I don't know if we're at that point. I mean, many people have pointed Wait, out that- When have we said the bell has rung, really? I mean, it's been it, like, it's been a, it's been a, a rolling type of scenario throughout the year of, of uh, burst after burst after burst. I mean, I don't remember the last time I looked at so many stocks that are down 70%. When I say 70%, like actually 70%, not just off the highs. You know, when you think about all these SPACs and some of these IPOs, uh, other than, you know, a burst bubble. Yeah, well, it's, it's because... So right? It's not an economic crisis. It's not a banking crisis. How does it compare then to the, the, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I'm still sort of, we, everybody wants to go to 2000, 2001, because we have the whole fame complex and the fact that the S&P still isn't very much up highs. The Russell got hammered, like I said, NASDAQ is pulling down, but there's still, and you, you had that post on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, even before all the Omicron stuff and some of these disappointing earnings about the fallen angels and how many of those names really yeah, have my, my, off. My, my one viral post. That's viral. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, really. just put just post a, a falling angel and a, a, a list of uh, price changes. It's all, it's all <laughs> it's a of the time. It's perspective that you offered, even in the GIF. Uh, yeah, but that, so that's where. Like the market, there had there is a lot of churn underneath the market, but we're. This point is interesting because again, on the high level, the S and P is still hanging in there. But reopening names, a lot of them got hammered. It's just a, it's a, it's weird, I think. So I, I don't know if it's I don't know that we're about to hit like a major correction. I don't know. People are now concerned about tapering. We still don't really know what Omicron is going to do to the world. Where everybody's trying to read the tea leaves in ways that suit their position without really. Nobody really seems to know that much yet. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's definitely an uncertain time. And it's, I think what I, so I wrote an article for investing.com about DocuSign. And I think what's interesting is to see how many companies, we talked about Peloton last time, are struggling with it. And it's something you have said a lot. And just there really is this sort of, we got, we believed our own hype or whatever else. I mean, in DocuSign specifically, the CEO, Dan Springer, said that they had stopped sort of landing and expanding and they were just servicing inbound demand. And so they didn't have sort of their own generation. Now, whether that actually makes a difference or not, that sort of admissions is. Or whether it's even true. 
or whatever. Right. It's, not, it's, like, it's, it's just an excuse. Yeah, but I like DocuSign, right? I mean, I even like even I, I did a, a write up on a, on essentially assembling a bubble basket for what a, like a month and a half to or about a month and a half ago, I think it was. Whatever, whenever I got out of these uh, sasses and looking at the compounding prospects, I mean, looking at what it takes to grow into your multiple. I was like, if this is like, if you wanted to hold a name for five years, just blindly, if you're one of those people, since most people don't want to short, and most people don't want to blow out everything they've been holding out for a while, even though the argument is that's what you should should have done now, right? When you're just riding a multiple expansion wave, the actual individual performance narratives really don't matter. I mean, yeah, DocuSign had a huge drop that day, but like, you know, Zscaler dropped 25% and like their quarter couldn't have been any better, right? Snowflake had an accelerating quarter, whipsaw around. And I'm sure that stock ends up lower than it was going into earnings in a couple of days. I mean, like that's been the nature of this volatility. But yeah, Peloton, DocuSign, there's been a few of these examples. Chegg, uh, although unique somewhat. Who else? I mean, it's not quite, and I think you've made this point, it's not quite fair to lump Zoom in here, but Zoom is sort of trades I mean, within this context. Of, like, it's literally gone exactly as expected, right? And the stock price has just gone down with that visibility. Maybe some people expected something better than what they were, like they've been like holding your hand throughout the year. But like, I mean, they're going to come in like right at my forecast. Uh, from November, October 2020, right? They're actually probably going to be a little bit lighter. Uh, I was like, what? I was at 4.1, 4.2, or 4.0 to 4.2. Like, they're going to be right around there. I want to say a little bit teeny. But then, like, you know, working off of that, I was like, your, your visibility into next year is, like, really hazy and potentially not growing much and you end up somewhere around 4.4 the street had been at like 4.8 and it's been inching down i haven't looked where it like where it's gone in the last week or so i mean i can read a perfect example of this and i mean i'd link to this in one write-up earlier cisco john chambers august this is a nice quote from him this is august like 16th i think august 8th 2000. We see no indications in the marketplace that the radical internet business transformation and practices like customer service, supply chain management, employee training, empowerment, and e-commerce that is taking place around the world today is slowing. In fact, we believe it is accelerating globally, right? And this is kind of the crux of it, right? And Cisco reported then, you know, this is what, almost, almost six months after uh, the Nasdaq peak, and they gave a guidance for 40, 50% going forward, even though there were signs already of a slowdown. Uh, and this was you know, a very different dynamic because you know, they're levered on the CapEx side. And there's actually a good write-up for those who want to check it out around them, like what went, like how did Cisco get the guidance so wrong in 2001? Uh, there's like a post-mortem like 12 months later. But you know, they go from that guide 
to a hiring freeze in December, to talking down the, the street, to updating the guidance, uh, to like, you know, we're going to be closer to 40%, uh, 30 to 40% for the year, uh, to missing in February, to then warning again in two months later. And they finished the year, I think, up like 5%. Now consider like the fiscal year, like the front half of it was like 60%, right? So like you really, like you had very negative growth in the back half. They got caught with inventory, like the supply chain dynamics and whatever. Very like, if you want an, if you want an analog to that, um, the, NVIDIA, the NVIDIA 2000, end of 18, beginning of 19 dynamics, right? Where like... Jensen says everything is perfectly cool. And then the end market blows up in like the blink of an eye. And it's like a warning, it's a cut, it's another, another cut. Uh, of course, the stock is what since then, uh, 6X after like from that bottom. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, there's unique reasons for everything in semiconductors that have been super strong. But like this goes back to this like, for example, I was talking to the captain, Captain Twilio, and you know, we're discussing the uh, Jeff Lawson giving a, you know, thirty percent for the next three years, right? And it's like, all right, like, can you take that stuff seriously when people are missing in a courtroom? Like, you know, like it, they don't. Nobody has a crystal ball into the future, right? So. Uh, COVID accelerated a lot of stuff, clearly no, and, and accelerated a lot of things in ways nobody could have, no rational human being could have analyzed, right? Like it's been, an, there's like politics to it. Like sometimes it doesn't even have to be deadly, like how humans are responding. Like you've seen the dynamics of it. It's not even essentially about, it's an exogenous event, but it, it's treated even in a different way than it would have been treated 50 years ago, right? 50 years ago, you would have, got, you would have gone to work. You wouldn't have thought about it. You wouldn't have had a choice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the, and the policy responses wouldn't be this type of way. Uh, and then, yeah, the policy response with the Fed, right? Like they're saying like now mea culpa, like we didn't anticipate inflation. It's a very like, hey, your house goes up. Cars are no longer depreciating, right? Like, you know, I sit in in, in, a, in a bar in a restaurant and the guy next to me is talking about how he, he bought a bunch of cars as a side business and he's he modeled it out at X, Y, and Z. And, you know, uh, his return is now X, Y, and Z plus ridiculous <laughs> because of what's happened in, uh, uh, in COVID, right? And then like the check comes and it's like, what the fuck? Why did you raise the price on this? <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So they're like, God, it's getting expensive here. It's like, well, we're, we're, like, weren't you just like in, in awe of how your, your financial model, like you're a banker uh, for this, these depreciating vehicles, you know, uh, got turned upside down. And then like, now you're surprised that like, they want to charge you more for, you know, your Wagyu steak. I mean, that's kind of a, like, that's part of the wonky thing that's gone on. And uh, like, we're at like that, that the, the, the tail end part where, you know, asset inflation 
and then like shortages of labor and all these things start you know coming together to where you start feeling it on your consumption right because everybody has to start adjusting yeah yeah, people are not. And then that becomes a negative, right? That's like, hey, that, but the price of this used to be that. Well, I mean, the price of your stock used to be this. <laughs> you know, the price of a, the price of a, a, you know, used car used to depreciate this much, right, in a year. So, there's, I think that, like, you've got that element which, like, nobody could have forecasted, and then you've got this type of thing around, yeah, like. You know, I want to. I want to buy a good business, and I want to hold it, and I want to compound. And uh, like, what am I underwriting from a risk reward standpoint? And it's interesting when you spend time on on Twitter, and you know, you see the people who like to post repeatedly about, you know, if you sold Apple at this point, uh, or Matt, like you know, the Barons, uh, the Amazon bomb article. There's just been so many of these moments, right? Like things start falling down. It's like, hey. You can be the sucker and you get, you're going to miss out on this. But then you're like, oh, I mean, no, like there's, there's a reflexivity here. And there's so many things that, that go into these dynamics. Like Steve Jobs sold all his Apple, right? Like you don't ever see anyone talking about that. Like he literally sold all his Apple as part of a strategic move after he sold next to Apple to put more pressure on the board. And when he was asked about it, it was just like, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have much faith in the business. I didn't think they were going. The board was going to do anything. So he kept one share, right? <laughs> and he doesn't like. By the way, he didn't go out in the open market and buy stock. Right? You know, when they asked him, he's like, "I can always go back to Pixar." If you're not happy about it, right? But of course, like several years later, he's talking about like feeling, you know, un, 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 un uh, unrewarded and. Like just he felt like you know the, the board should do something nice when it came to the stock option grant, right? I don't even remember when like I think they gave him a plane or something too as well. I don't think the plane but, was accruing value then, though. The yeah, but I'm just out. saying, like it, it, in terms of like he he did not take his cash out with everything that was happening and be like I I need to invest in this. And by the way, like the the, the prophecy of Apple can't happen. Right. Like you can we can we can go to Greek tragedy, right? It's like the prophecy can't happen if he doesn't sell all his shares. The prophecy can't happen, like if he's not forced out of the company, right? And goes off on his own. And by the way, when he was forced out, he sold all his shares then, right? Like and he took that cash and he plowed it into Pixar, where for the majority of the time everybody at Pixar was bitching and moaning and really annoyed that like he was refusing to grant them stock options, right? But like he didn't see it that way. He's like, I'm I'm funding this whole thing, you know. Like he had a and like it was a constant debate. Like, will this be enough? And he would postpone it. Will this be enough? And then like finally, like he brought in, you know, CFO who's like finally like you know courted him on it, and he's like, just give me a number that will end this, right? And I don't want to hear it again, right? And the guy was like, I knew that it was it wasn't going to be enough, but like. You know, I took it, right? Uh, so, like, when someone posts that, like, you know, X, Y, and Z sold Apple at some point in time, uh, and or it was like kind of patently obvious that Apple would kill BlackBerry and 
2007 or eight or nine, right? I'm like, well, no, not not to everybody, <laughs> right? And it was, clearly wasn't obvious to Steve Jobs, right? And a lot of people at the company either. So these like these variables that come into some of these things, when you think about it, uh, is I mean, like we, we like looking at, at stock charts because it, it really simplifies something. But and you can just look at the lines and be like, oh, no, like never sell worked fantastically here. But like, it's not realistic, right? Well, and it's I think that's because I think there's you see a lot on Twitter, especially because there's so many people of different investing styles, and so somebody makes a point to their audience and somebody else takes offense to it because their investing style is different. And I'm a long-term investor or I try to be a long-term investor by sort of principle. I'm not, you know, a lot of the people, a lot of people out there have kind of made the conversion from a classic value mindset to a more quality focus. I'm not all the way there, but I'm somewhere in between. And so I, I appreciate people who say, look, I want to I wanna just hold the business. I don't trust myself to be able to get back in if I sell out, all this sort of stuff. Like, I get that. I get the, the behavioral aspect there. But it's also, I think the stock charts actually kind of make put it in sharp relief. And this, I mentioned this in my article, like doc, DocuSign is one where, is it going to get to 300 in the next five years? Like, that's, you know, maybe it does. Maybe that's, maybe you feel that's easy, but like, it was at 300 earlier this year. And so that's that's sort of how you, it's not so much that you're turning your back on DocuSign as you sell at a high. It's that you're realistically saying this is as good as it might get for a long time. Stitch Fix, which I own, was obviously overvalued at 100. Yeah, and it's, and it's been, well, and the business to me still is, it's not as consistent as SaaS business, but it's, mostly fine and you can argue you know you can make your arguments around it but yeah the stock is just enough you know it's 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 insane it's now to the point where i saw this week morgan stanley was finally like we're calling it equal weight because it's so cheap now that like and you can i'm sure the short interest i haven't looked i'm sure it's still high but it's like that's an example where realistically i it was a small position for me it's i've actually added to it now i'm in the 30s and maybe the twenties, but so far in the thirties, like it's still not a huge position, but I was, I, I told myself, all right, I'm going to try and never sell. And that was so, obviously dumb. It was like, uh, I mean, think, think about me versus you in, in that bet in December, January. I mean, like you're, you effectively had a mini version of a meme stock when you look back at it. <laughs> That's right. What did I beat you? What was the, what was your stock that I, Oh, Slack. You had Slack, which got bought out. It was like Slack and Twitter and, your stitch fix did the trick. That's right. That's right. I, hey, that was awesome. And, 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 and Slack was bought out. But yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, I was looking at it then, just being like, what's gone on here? <laughs> like, what's, but there was a lot of those names in that, like, December, January window of last year. Yeah. And we've, I guess we've had, like, and that's what's like, I think, I'll pull it up now, but I think Etsy is still pretty high, for example. I, I assume it sold off last week, but. That's an example. Know, of, did you see the tweet that I did on like what you should pay for SaaS? Like it was twenty percent, twenty percent CAGR. Don't pay more than ten. Thirty percent. Don't pay more than fifteen. Okay. Forty percent. Don't pay more than twenty times sales. Right. Okay. And like somebody responded, like 
you could have paid more for, you know, Adobe and Salesforce and, you know, things go into this like margin and da, 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 da. And I was like, actually, I mean, like, yeah, I get it. But like, actually my hard rule is based on that because like in some of these were more durable for longer term. Well, you haven't realized you're actually renting the one year forward visibility in growth stocks, right? So when you set that up, like you're not going to say, hey, I think this does this for a decade and we do, you know, our, our assumptions, build a DCF and come up with a terminal value and so on and so forth. You're just like, how confident are you that your CAGR for the next three years is in this zone, right? Because at the end of each year, you're reevaluating that forward, right? And like, that's essentially what the market is doing. So yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're Adobe or Salesforce or whatever, right? At the end of each year, uh, if your confidence remains in that, right? The multiple stays the same. You don't like, you won't have the contraction. You'll grow, right? And the stock will go up. That's compounding, right? And that goes on for years and years and years, but you're still always doing that, like, that exercise at the, at the end of the year. What's interesting about COVID is that it's introduced volatility into this, right? So it accelerated a lot of things beyond the typical growth curve. And in doing so, the stock prices have shot up in line initially, and then way ahead, right? Like, I don't know if you walked through like the Zoom exercise, right? When I bought Zoom. I saw your, you know, your tweet on that one, yeah. Yeah, so like when you, when you just do the math on it, like Zoom, if Zoom was doing a billion and a half in revenue today uh, with a forward expectation of like 40% growth or 50% growth, the stock will be worth more right now than it is at 4 billion in, in revenue <laughs> and forward expectation of way slower growth because the forward curve changed immediately, right? So like you have this like smooth curve and that smooth curve supports that, that, that higher multiple that is like, you know, that confidence in that long tail of growth, right? But if you accelerate and you pull forward, we change everything around that curve and you put, and you run like, like, and I, we used to, we used to joke about this, right? Like, you pay high multiples for the future, right? But what happens, you know, when the future becomes the present, uh, eventually becomes the past. And like, let's, the multiples come down as, 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 as you take that approach. So in the case of Zoom, yeah, people can sit and debate about teams and so many other things. But like, if you look at it today, their biggest problem without question, it's like, it's not people switching. It's not, you know, it's just the fact that they have 500,000 customers and it's a $4 billion revenue business, you know, global, globally scaled, nearly, you know, $1.8 to $2 billion in free cash flow potential generation, right? But you're looking at it and you're like, all right, but what if it doesn't grow next year, right? And then when does it start growing again and at what rate? That now for a lot of people has become very hard to figure out. I mean, and it's hard to figure out for management too. You know, it's not just, not just us. It's not the Salesforce model of like, we can maintain a 20%, target a 20% plus clip and they do acquisitions steadily. And the multiple has always been, you know, like around six to 
10 times sales, right? And it's it's kind of steady eddy along the way. And then like you never hit it with the the hyper growth, that word, you know, for example, that has been tossed around so much in the last year and a half. Uh, I mean, there's something positive about it, but there's also a negative moniker to it if you don't accept the fact that there's no such thing as sustainable hypergrowth, right? <laughs> it's an oxymoron, you know? Like, like we we're having this conversation, I was talking to somebody about Snowflake, and I mean, obviously Snowflake is in a fantastic position, and Slipman is the man, you know, he's like today's Jack Welch, he's like running the business, he's putting out his book at the same time, everything else, right? And at 100 times sales, you know, the people who, who talk about it on Twitter, particularly a lot of the VCs who are involved in, of course, they want to take a victory lap. Like you own a business that has a hundred billion market cap that's executing. And it's like presently on like a, you know, what is it like a 1.2 billion run rate, right? Based on the last quarter growing at about hundred percent. And I saw like after they reported tons of tweets, like, one of the that's most most impressive quarter I've ever seen. I was like, what? I mean, didn't we read these tweets about Zoom? And wasn't everything Zoom did way more impressive? <laughs> you know, right? And uh, you you like you want to take a pause for a second because, like, yeah, it's it's likely that like they hit that twenty twenty nine number, but like there's a long road to that ten billion, and. You know, that first billion has been a lot easier in this, you want to call it both like uh, the inflationary dynamics of the last decade, but just in general, uh, the ability to scale a business faster in tech, right? And and get to 500 million, a billion in revenue. But by, by that very virtue, when you think about adding an incremental billion and then 2 billion and then another 2 billion and and revenue annually at like, you know, let's call it uh, 40% margins. Like you're not, you're now on a big market with a lot of people to compete with, right? It's not small potatoes with everybody chasing growth. And when people sit here and say, you know, I, like there was a guy who posted was like, they'll do, they'll do, you know, ridiculous growth for decades. And I mean, I was just thinking, like, like for example, you, do you know when Microsoft was at a billion in revenue? Do, I don't. Do you want me to guess? Years ago, 1990. Okay. Right. And Microsoft, if you had paid 100 times sales, and like these hypotheticals can be stupid, but they're like that's the only thing you can do when you look backwards. But if you think about it, if you paid 100 times sales for Microsoft in 1990. Uh, and it grew as it has from a billion to whatever it is now, 150 billion in revenue. The S&P 500 has slightly outperformed you, right? And as it should, if you're just going to hold something for 30 years, right? So when you think about, like, when you stretch out the time horizons, like, there's zero chance <laughs> that you're going to outperform the index unless you found some sort of algorithm. Right, that which is by the way confined by what it can do, like the like you know what's it called, spot the uh, medallion. Right, when you see their returns, right, but like they tell you, hey, 
Like we can only do this in, you know, to a certain scale because beyond that, it's too difficult, right? We, we, we've kind of reached our limits. There's more competition and, and these things exist. So that like when you think about something like Microsoft over 30 years and you're like, all right, you know, what if like, I would have earned like a 10% return, right? I mean, like, that's not what the goal people are doing when they're picking stocks, right? They're not picking a stock for 30 years, okay? So if you're, if you're picking a stock, and for most people, I mean, I think that like, there's a reasonable investment horizon depending on age, uh, particularly if they're active enough in the market to be paying attention regularly and they want to change things here and there. Like you have to be sensitive to something that just happened like that because, you know, for you to outperform paying 100 times sales, the, the, the error, margin for error that you're dealing with is, I mean, thinking about, it's like, it, it's absurd, right? You know, you have none. Like you end up with a 50, 60% drawdown and like that 50, 60% drawdown, like people looking back at the internet bubble and people talk about the burst and whatever, but the burst created the best environment ever for compounding in tech, right? Like once that happened, if you just woke up, like we were playing this game on Spaces the other day where I was like, just assume you haven't been investing. Like someone was like, would you buy Twitter here, right? And I was like, just assume you haven't, like you, you are on an island, you're in space, you're on, you're, you're on, you're on the space station, International Space Station. And you just came back. There was no trading around there, although I highly I doubt that these days you can trade anywhere. Uh, <laughs> you but, wouldn't survive without it. Yeah. You come back down to Earth and welcome back. And you're like, all right, you know, what just happened? You see like SAS, every SAS name down 40% or 30% in the last four weeks. And all these blow ups and everything. You're like, all right, you know, what do I buy today? Right. I mean, for that person who has fresh capital, this is like, obviously it's a good environment to buy some stuff and not have to do what? Stress about the exit point, right? Now, like the difference between today and three months ago is huge, right? Like you've seen our debates in the Slack channel where like, you know, we like to bust each other's balls, but like, there's no incentive for me to tell someone, particularly if I'm not compensated for it, to sell all your shares, right? The downside scenario, okay? I mean, it does, if someone's been holding something for a very long time. But when I, sit, when I start looking at a market and I determine that, you know, the value add that you can bring to the table on an individual security, like I spend all this time on a PagerDuty or a Workday or a Cloudflare or a Snowflake, and I come out and I'm just like, I've added nothing of value to how I'm going to invest, right? I can learn everything there is to know about it. But in reality, what I'm dealing with here is a situation where all that intelligence and information adds nothing. Because it's just not realistic to take a position. Yeah, it just like there's nothing I can do with it actionably that's going to generate performance. I'm saying if you're a buy and hold guy, okay? May add a lot if you're if like you if you're if you're willing to be long short, right? Going back to this, you know, idea of putting together a bubble basket of the high name, multiple names, 
and just throwing them all in indiscriminately, right? Because you've gotten to point in time where like the defenses of the business paying paying that entry price, right? The defense of it becomes what? It becomes, you know, this could be that 0.1% company in the future, like, but like it's being viewed as that today. Like you don't have an like when when Snowflake trades at a hundred billion, and like maybe AWS is worth five to seven hundred or something, right? Like, and Snowflake did three hundred million this quarter. Like you, you have to ask questions, right? You have to ask questions about like what is like, and this is the problem with with the sell side. Like the model is no longer uh from an estimate standpoint, like they have to be real, realistic, right? People at a company want to feel like they're doing well when they report 100% uh, growth and they beat. But like, look at Salesforce, look at Viva, look at, you know, most of these names in, in software. They've never missed. Like technically DocuSign didn't miss. They missed on the billings going they forward. Billings, right? yeah. And now the numbers come down and they will beat the next quarter. So if you were to pull up Seeking Alpha and pull up SaaS names, and like the history of the earnings, right? I always find it funny because you just see it's all green. There isn't a red, right? They beat consistently for like the last five years. Well, what is that? What's a data set uh, that they've always beat do for you if uh, there's no variance? It's not going to help you with the stock price. Right. It's right? the like base you yeah, you just have to almost throw it out because it becomes, well, how much are you beating by? Why are they setting expectations? And that's why you get these things where people freak out on the billing because they know the billings is the only indication of volatility in some of these software names, even though the software names will tell you, like, you, you should look at it on a smoothed out basis because we have different periods of renewals, et cetera, et cetera, right? But going back to the initial point is that, like, you look at the market and you just say, look, like if, if you actually made like a good secular investment, right? You would probably like at one of these software companies or you're an employee at one of these companies, you've been compounding very well. You've been outperforming the market over the last decade, right? So you're up more than the market if you're in one of these, in these all-stars. And then in the last 18 months, like if you probably look at your net worth, you've just been doing nothing probably like, you know, three quarters of it has been added, you know, in 18 to 24 months, right? Because whatever it is that you had, you know, doubled or tripled in a period, right? Very yeah, short period, short period pandemic yeah. or whatever. So when right. you look at that, I mean, that essentially becomes like you got the next 10 years and you've got it now, right? Now, it's very hard for anybody to like people with like taxes and this and that, but it's like, look, you got 10 years, right? Like it's time, really, what you've what you've just won with. And yeah, I mean, it, it it's a very, very hard thing to do, but to look at that and just be like, I have to clear it all out. Right. Because the the equation that that has been driving this has now been turned upside down. And that's where you look at something, for example, like Microsoft, you paid a hundred times sales in 1990, that would have been a hundred billion, 
I think it took it six years to hit a hundred billion. Right. And then it went in a few years, I think less than two, two and a half from a hundred billion to six. And then from six back down to a hundred, like 120. Right. I managed to, by the way, trade down at those levels again by the financial crisis. Right. Still steadily growing business all that time, obviously way slower rate. And then like you got this new, new period of growth uh, since like, let's call it since Satya came in and, and the cloud, right? They're a cloud winner, just like, you know, Adobe and Tuit and so many of these other dominant players and, and, and their respective uh, positions who have just made the transition, right? Like they held, they, they held their ground. Like nobody was able to come in and knock them off. They weren't essentially turned off from their market. But you go through this phase, phase where the right thing to do is to sell it all. It's unquestionable because one of two outcomes happen. You go sideways, right? And if you sold it all, you're going to put it in some like, let's call it, uh, you know, index and probably outperformed. Okay. Or you could have put it in some sort of fixed income instrument and outperformed. You shouldn't be thinking that way to a potential degree, right? Or there's a significant drawdown and you get to come back in, right? Like something that resets that, that expectation level. And you would think that the expectation level gets reset because people have seen it before, right? Like that guy who commented on, uh, on my like on my model of like my simple dumbed down, you know, don't pay more than this, you know, if you already like the business. Like I'm saying don't pay more than he's like, well, you could have paid more for XYZ. Of course you could have, but your goal is to do significantly better when you're stock picking, right? From a return perspective, right? So when you tell me, hey, like the guys who paid, you know, could have paid more for Salesforce. That's fine looking in reverse, but the reality is people were able to buy Salesforce at two times sales when it was growing subscription revenue, 40% at a billion run rate, right? So yeah, you could have paid more, but the goal isn't paying more. The goal is literally generate, like you want to look at you want to buy a high growth day in one of these sectors, you want to make 50% in your money, right? In like less than three years, you're going to get into one of these names, right? Like that's realistic. So if you believe that that's realistic, like you can't sit here and be like, well, you know, we're not going back to paper or <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, or you, you end up reading Chambers quote, right? Where he lays that all out. And it's not like Cisco did bad. Like everything he said was right. That didn't work out for shareholders. Why is that? Like, he was completely right about everything that happened. What you should have done is should have exited his stock and then you should have gone and bought Amazon, you know, a year later. So couple, two or three things sort of that, that triggered for me. The, the bubble basket is it just, I wanted to flag because I think that's a, the, the most notable, I, I don't know if you're, I, I don't know if we should give him credit. I don't know if he was the one who first came up with it, but I know we're had the bubble basket, what, in the mid-2010s. And that's like a great challenge because people look at that, and I'm pretty sure he had, I, I don't want to impute him, but I'm pretty sure he had Amazon, Netflix, and Tesla in that basket. 
and a bunch of other SaaS names, which all probably are still way above what they were when he, and so that's, I think a lot of people hear that and think about that and say that as a counter example to that concept when, of course, everything depends on context. Amazon and Netflix specifically and Tesla in its own way are such unicorns as far as how they succeeded and scaled their business. Just And you've made the point that also the starting valuations are not where they are today. So, I mean, and I'm very familiar with that bubble basket and I addressed that in the write-up. Like that bubble basket, like, so here's the interesting thing about that bubble basket. It was a good bubble basket when, when they put it together. And, and, you know, well, one of our friends is, you know, has been on here, was involved in that, right? The mistake with that bubble basket was you had a massive drawdown uh, in the span of like, I'd say, I don't know, 60 days, similar to what happened here in, uh, in 2014. And you got your returns in that, in that window. I'm like, cover your short walk away, right? Because for where a lot of them traded, once you put something like that together, that's indiscriminate and you've been paid off. Right. I mean, this goes back to a bubble basket is essentially, hey, I'm going to put this together. And uh, it's a bubble because everything has been pulled forward. I mean, he had some stuff in there that was crappy. Right. But like, if you're actually doing it on good names, right, it's a different ball game. And I think that like, it's very different when you look at it into these like asymmetric type of consumer opportunities, right? Like a Netflix or uh, Peloton or these things where it gets like controversial when the end market is like the B2B guys, like I would say like Tesla, Netflix, huge disagreements early on about how it can play out, right? Because they're chasing markets with incumbents who are already doing this, right? In a manner of speaking that like the, the, some of the levers that they had to pull weren't necessarily unique, they're constrained, right? Whether it's manufacturing or access to content, you know, uh, talent, studios, et cetera. When you think about uh, software from a utility standpoint, right? And like what, why someone likes something, I mean, it's, they already have established beachhead in the space, right? Like, they already have enterprise customers. By the time it gets to the public market and we're having this conversation, right, today, it's not like so-and-so is coming up. Like, I was short Teradata at times years ago because of Snowflake, right? Like, it would come out that there was this company that was, you know, taking market share from them. That was part of the thesis on this company. Now, 2018, Snowflake had a billion dollar valuation, right? So three years later, it's 100 billion. That's 100x, okay? So when you think about that, for the people who, who have rode that in, in such a short time period, I mean, that's a huge outlier, okay? But like the people looking at it today, they already know that these guys have blue chip customers and this is what's happening, <laughs> and then, you know? Like you're not sitting here debating whether or not uh, you're going to trade in your BMW or Toyota and like where the consumer will go and what will happen. You're like, you're, you're giving it to them. So the, the, the B2B in software, like the downside is there's some sort of new technological variation that changes it. 
and somebody manages to displace you or erode your pricing, right? But like this shit doesn't happen overnight. People sign three-year contracts, right? I mean, it takes time. Uh, replacement cycles are, are elongated. I mean, you're not going to see that type of volatility. So like the multiples play a much bigger factor than things that you can measure short-term operationally, right? So when the multiples get so, so big on, you know, names like a snowflake, right? Like that's when you're, where you're running into the issues because you're constrained by how quickly they can grow. Just in the same way that there's like the benefit of the downside being, you know, limited in terms of the type of bad news in the short run. But like, that's why you see the sector trade around vault violently, not vault, but violently back and forth because you're essentially trading those multiples, the expansion and contraction in them versus the individual name. Now, like in semiconductors, there'll be like a moment where, you know, flash memory has this, or does the GPU inventory build up or whatever. Uh, same thing with, you know, switching networking historically, like you go through these things, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's an, a CapEx related correction, right? And you actually can pinpoint the dots and look at it. And that leads to a reset or somebody like it used to be your chip was replaced, you know? in like a device that was key. You know, remember when like when when yeah. before yeah. Apple was making everything. The Apple like, All right. Yeah. yeah. Like you you lost you lost share inside this big customer. Or you lost share at some cloud provider, right? Uh whether it's like SSD or flash memory stuff that we used to, you know, you get these startups and it'd be like Facebook is is used deploying this and then they moved on to something else, right? So I think on, on the B2B side, like you have to be more sensitive in the sense that like, you're not like when you do a bubble basket there, like it's, it's more about like, you have, you have almost 40, 50 years of software to look at and how it's played out, right? The consumer things are almost title shit, right? Like Apple versus, I mean, before it had even really declined much from a business standpoint, right? Like BlackBerry lost 80% of its value. Like just a couple misses here and there. It's an anticipation, and, yeah. I mean, no, there was like, it had slowed and then it started to be discounted for, you know, decimation and decimation ended up being what happened, right? Uh, and if you were actually looking at that then, you should have just bought Apple instead of shorted BlackBerry <laughs> because that was the better setup in terms of upside, despite how much it fell. So going back to the current setup, the, the things I'm curious about are, I'll ask them together and for your thoughts. What do you think, if anything, actually is triggering this? Is it just inevitable weight or is it something more specific? And then I don't think we're there yet. By, I don't think you'll say we're there yet by any means, but I'm curious. Nobody ever says we're there yet. And then uh, like you look back three months later and you're like, yeah, we were there. <laughs> right? Well, I mean about, are we at the, what do you watch yeah. for as the bottom. bottom? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, 
I don't know, like I'm the wrong person to ask in the sense that I've been sitting on Twitter and I've been in names that not necessarily been completely wrecked uh, like these uh, high flyers have, but, uh, you know, booking gave up his games. Boeing's done, you know, essentially it's sideways for the entire time period, which is a win. I mean, raising cash to 50%, you know, waiting was, was definitely the, the best solution selling Netflix work day pay-per-view stuff like that. But when you look at, uh, when you look at like, you know, your, your software and your FinTech and let's call it some of these uh, high growth uh, uh, darlings that have had the bottom fall out, like, you know, a DocuSign uh, or even Zoom, right? Like a Zoom surprised me with how much has fallen recently. I mean, I had that in the pair with Twilio and it's almost eaten the Zoom's recent decline. Because, I mean, if you remember, Toyo fell, notably, uh, end of October, right? And, like, you had some decent speculation. Like, take a stock like Asana, right? Like, Asana literally is down, what, 60% in, like, 10 days? <laughs> it was really backloaded there. Yeah, but, like, it also, it like, it had this, like, vertical move right before then. Right. It's back to June 2021 levels. So you have this kind of like whipsaw, right? And a lot of these names where, uh, I mean, I would argue the, the market peaked in July, but like, yeah, when you look at these names, you're just like, okay, I mean, yeah, this has been going on, but like I've been watching uh, the social media stocks kind of melt for three months, right? I mean, yeah, you could say like once we hit earnings, that kind of cemented it one after the other. but and there's been like sideways action and a lot like, I mean, seesawing, if you call it, in open up names. Really, like if you're if you weren't in like, I think the places that have held up the best, obviously the best performer is, is semiconductors, but the places that have held up the best have been more levered to the commodities. But yeah, when you're looking at like, there's like clearly a macro variable here. And we got into this whole conversation, like there's no reason for the Fed to step in. I mean, change their policy at this point. I'm not saying even change their policy. Like you hit a point where, like, people have been so focused on uh, the rate of the taper and when the rate hikes come, and and it's like, I mean, first thing you should focus on is you're not getting record stimulus again, right? So that was enough to be a problem. Withdrawing it, what they've given you so far is you know like a stage two type of uh headache for people who've been speculating right and then withdrawing it at a faster rate because of inflationary dynamics uh is like you know the stage three fire which is i think where like where we've gotten to uh with some of these growth names but like you have to expect that this is going to have to cycle through everything else eventually Right, like a lot of people have been tweeting, like the, the sell-off doesn't end till the generals get shot, right? But like you may have already hit rock bottom in the names that have been falling for the whole year, you know. So you don't have to actually view it from that standpoint that like you're waiting for you're waiting for an event uh, that changes that declare like you know I, I'm not going to buy till Google, Microsoft, and uh, Amazon have had a drawdown. 
right? I mean, if if Twitter is trading at a $28 billion enterprise value and you're a long-term investor, we're like, what are you waiting for? There's not much to think about, right? I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.